0: All right, so we are in the book of Colossians and we're looking at the subject, Christ, our fullness. That's kind of the theme for this book. And uh, since we started in verse 16 of chapter two, a few weeks ago, we've been talking about the fullness of grace. So if you look at this new passage that we've uh, moved into today, verse 20 of chapter two, you'll see that Paul begins this verse with the word if, and it makes us think that maybe there's a question, a possibility of a question, although if you look in verse one of chapter three in the English Standard Version, it, it begins with the word if, and that's something important to know. You might want to circle both of those ifs. Here he is in verse one of chapter three. He is not asking a a question. He is uh, proposing a solution or making a statement. But if you look in back in verse 20 of chapter two, um, it takes Paul, and and this particular passage all the way beginning in verse 20 all the way to the end of chapter two is very condensed, compressed. Um, every so often I see on the computer screen a zip file, and I have whenever I see that zip file. I know that's nothing I want to fool with because it does all sorts of crazy things, compressing, trying to stuff like, you know, 50 pounds of potatoes in a five-pound bag, and it never seems to work right. That's kind of the sense in this passage. Paul is cryptic, enigmatic. We don't, as we heard from William Barclay, there's kind of a mixture of Prohibition against going back to the old Jewish system, commandment system, the Torah, but there's also a good dose of Gnosticism that's thrown in here. The, the Colossian heresy is uh, not as easy to identify as the Galatian heresy. We don't exactly know uh, the contours of what the Colossian philosophy, as Paul calls it, actually looked like. In many re- respects it's lost to history and can't be recovered and so we kind of try to read between the lines at what Paul is militating against uh, so he has this question that begins in verse 20 and then it ends uh, comes to an end at verse 22 so look at it with me if with Christ and and some people say that this could be translated since with Christ, and the same with uh, chapter, chapter three, verse one, since then you have been raised with Christ. Let's just read it uh, this way, because I think in verse 20, this question that begins is more, more emphatic. It more closely follows, I think, the point that Paul is trying to make. If with Christ you died, to the elemental spirits of the world. Now that phrase, the elemental spirits of the world, we've come across before. If you look back in verse 8 of chapter 2, where he begins to talk about this dangerous teaching of error that is creeping into the Colossian assembly, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. So there is this kind of mixture, uh, Colossian syncretism, as we saw last week, this mixture of Jewish retrogression, but also uh, this kind of addition of New Age what we might describe as New Age teaching in the phrase, the elemental spirits of the world. So again, Paul uses that phrase in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, and then you might want to underline the next word, why? <laughs> so this is a dangerous word, by the way. Um, it used to be when we had newspapers and You had newspaper reporters and you had editors that a newspaper uh, reporter was, uh, newspapers were focused on just reporting the facts. What, why, when, where, how, you know. And those were all supposed to be listed like in in the first paragraph. Uh, A a why question is dangerous. For example, um, the last uh, school shooting. The question as to motive. Why would someone do this? What is the motive behind? I told Christy the other day, we have to stop asking why questions and just focus on asking the what question. I'm thinking of Paul's response on his conversion. Who art thou, Lord? And what What wilt thou have me to do? So who questions are good? It's good for us to uh, know the people that we're in intimate relations uh, with. What questions are very practical? Uh, Why questions are, um, you know, it's like the man who said, "I, I looked into the depth of the ocean, but I was never able to discern the bottom. Talk about the bottomless deep. It, it's scary. Uh, I I don't like it. Even going, you know, some murky water at the Lake of the Ozarks. You're on a boat. You look over there, and it's like, how deep is that? What would it be like to fall into that? And well, can I just say it and drown? You know, and your last few moments are in this murky darkness. So why questions are like that. Why questions have a way of trapping us. And so it's important, the reason why you should underline that three letter word, why is because there's a world of trouble in the word why. And Paul has ventured uh, into this murky water because it's an important question. It's an important question that has to be answered. If we are to understand the progression of his thought that Christ is the cosmic king, that he is the one through whom everything that is created was created. He is the one by whom all things consist or are given their cohesiveness, are held together. And that that can be interpreted in a, uh, in a way that has to do with how the world functions, physics, quantum mechanics, how, whatever you want to use, uh, the latest science. In Christ, the world, uh, the power of the atom is harnessed in a way that is not destructive to its existence. If Paul's assertion then is correct, and then that, as we've seen beginning uh, in verse 16 of this chapter, that there are practical applications. There, there are practical realities. You cannot speak of Christ as king, Christ as sovereign, uh, Christ as creator, um, without it changing your worldview and perspective. You just can't tip your hat to that. Oh, yeah, 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 I, I believe all that. It has definite implications. And Paul is somewhat taken aback here, not as much as he is with the Galatian church. He he says to the Galatians, we'll look at it in a minute, "I'm, I'm astonished, I'm astonished. He doesn't say that he's astonished here, but he's asking this question, why are you living this way or why are you being giving in to the temptation to live this way when these certain facts are apparent, facts of the gospel. So, so look at it again, why? As if you were still alive in the world. Now, again, he's hearkening back to, we spent a lot of time on the subject of water baptism. There is a death that has taken place when you were buried with Christ, when that kind of circumcision, Paul is saying. Uh, when you were buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, it signifies a reality that you possess. Uh, look at it again. Why? As if you were still alive in the world, someone might say, Well, I'm very much alive in the world uh, this morning. I'm more alive in the world this morning than I want to be. I, I, I hear you. But Paul's talking about it in kind of a theological sense. uh, He does this in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. And what's the next phrase? Nevertheless, I live. So we do have, uh, uh, as Jesus prayed, uh, preserve uh, my disciples uh, they're in the world, but not of the world. So we, we do have a worldly, if you want to put it that way, life. We are alive in the world. But spiritually speaking, there is something in us that has died that can no longer be resurrected in this present life. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And then in verse 21, you see in the English Standard Version, it's in quotes. It's like, and we don't really know the the genesis of this quote. It would be nice to have some Bible scholar come along and say, I've looked it up. I found this quote and he's quoting from this guy back in whatever in Greece or in Roman Roman times or maybe in Hebrew times, but we we don't know it. It is again, a kind of a pithy phrase, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and right away we, we say, well, isn't do not handle and do not touch kind of the same thing? Why is there this distinction? We don't really have an answer for this question. You know, there's a lot of, uh, when you think of old wives' tales, and I know that's probably politically incorrect to, to talk about that now, but, you know, these sayings, that just become part and parcel of our culture. And we don't think about that too much, right? We just repeat them. And we don't know the genesis of it. They say that the Appalachians actually come all the way into St. Louis now. And what do they mean? They're not talking about the mountain range itself. They're talking about Appalachian culture uh, found its way out uh, towards I think it got to Collinsville, and it never got to St. Louis. Maybe um, people in Illinois are just—you know—it's like how can a mile-wide river make that much difference between people in St. Louis and people in—I don't know. Where do you got? Where do you, Rick and Renee, live? Do you live in where? Yeah. How how can it make it so much different from people who live in Collinsville? Now that I've offended everyone. But, but do you notice that? You can travel a few miles down the road, and it's like, uh, does it make that much difference? So we we don't know the genesis of of this phrase. There are a lot, let, let me say this about that. There are a lot of things in uh, the Christian tradition that you might uh, regard as as something to be preserved, prized, uh, practiced, um, but you may not know anything about how it got to you in the form that it did. Um, For example, he's, you know, do not submit to regulation. So uh, if you try, for example, and I'm not picking on any group, you you could, bring up a lot of examples. This is one that comes to mind. It was about uh, mid-1950s that in Oneness Pentecostalism there came this prohibition against uh, women wearing pants. And uh, it was based on, you know, the book of Leviticus, that a woman should not wear anything that pertaineth to a man. And so it's amusing to me because, uh, so you start, Poking around, you know, how did this, how did this be? I mean, there's some people that are so adamant and dogmatic about, about it. like you're going to go to hell if you're a, if you're a woman and you wear pants. Uh, so I, you get digging, or you know, l- discover, looking at the stuff, like how did this develop into this uh, this idol? that many people, they insist upon, they believe in it, and they promote it, they preach it, they teach it, and yet they don't really know where did this teaching come from. So one of the interesting tidbits that I uh, I discovered a while back, uh, one of the uh, general superintendents of, of the UPC, his, his name was A.T. Morgan, he was from Louisiana. Uh, this was before S.W. Chambers became, uh, uh, A.T. Morgan, in fact, had a heart attack and died in a general board meeting. My dad was, what, Morgan was standing here. My dad was sitting there and he dropped to the floor. I can remember as a kid, my dad coming back and telling it was a very, uh, it was a very moving uh, story. But Morgan was a very wise man. That. that Here's the thing about it is the people that are closer to the birth of whatever the movement is um, tend to have, because to, to birth a movement, you have to have some give and take. You have to have some ability to compromise. And when you think of the merger meeting that took place, you know, the meeting in uh, down on Blair and Warren, uh, there, were, there were men who sought out each other from both sides, uh, or- Orlin Foss and uh, Witherspoon. They both had their, their sides that they were representing, but they came together somehow and said, Let- let's uh, work this out. So one of the things about Morgan, a very wise man, even though he was from Louisiana, he was, not, he was certainly not um, a radical uh, that we sometimes associate with those deep south states. Um, but in it is reported that in a general board meeting, the discussion came up about women wearing pants. And brother, uh, my dad once told me, he said, his son, if you get in a heated meeting like that, just let everybody else talk. Let them get it all out. And then... You try to be the last one that talks to to bring some semblance of order and i I saw my dad do that more than once in in meetings. He just let people get up, get upset, you know, just basically give them, give them enough rope and they hang themselves with it and so Brother Morgan uh, this discussion very heated at times went on. And so he said, well, brother, I I want to tell you a story. Uh, He said, I heard about a preacher uh, and a lady showed up at his church one Sunday and and she had pants on. And the preacher felt led then to preach on that a woman should not wear wear that item of clothing that pertaineth to men. And afterwards, he felt, to follow up with the offending sister and um, make sure that the message got through. And the offending sister said um, something like this. She said, well, I'm gonna take these pants off right now and you see if you can get in them. (laughs) Because I, I don't know that much about ladies' pants, but I think the zipper's usually on the side, isn't it? If there is a zipper, the zippers are, do they even put them in... Your pants don't have zippers in them, do they? The ones you're wearing right now? Thank you. Thank you for that affirmation. Um, so, you you see, we don't know how the stuff that we so violently believe in, like, you got to do this, and if you don't do this, you're not saved. And it's because... Uh, we tend to avoid, uh, we always look for information that confirms what we al- already believe. You have to school yourself, discipline yourself into looking for information that might disprove what you believe. And it's a dangerous thing. Why questions are like that? You know, the, the child that is always, you know, kids go through that stage of, Everything is why. Why, mommy, do I have to do that? Why, why is green the color green? Why is white the color of white? Well, and then you go into explanations. Well, white is the absence of color. Black is the presence of all colors. Why Why is white white and why is black? Why is that the way that it works? You know, they go through that why thing and you're like, just shut up, will you? It, it's just like, this. this is the way it is. I don't really know why. It's just, this is the way it is. And so we learn... We learned that why questions are troublesome questions, but this is a question again that must be answered. Look at it, look at it again. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Here, here's a, in quotes, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Then in parentheses in verse 22, referring to things that all perish as they are used. And then he comes back to try to finish the question, according to human precepts and teachings. Now, you might want to underline the word back in verse 20, submit. Why do you submit? So Hendrickson says in this paragraph, Paul condemns the program of austerity recommended by the proponents of error. It is a program of austerity. We we touched on this a little bit in the last few weeks. If you go back, crawl back up the chapter in verse 16, in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. And then we uh, looked at the phrase uh, in verse 18, Insisting on asceticism, which again, uh, Paul uses this word asceticism in verse 23. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Insisting on asceticism, worship of angels going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds. So, There's quite a potpourri here, quite an admixture of things that Paul is using to describe the Colossian philosophy, this um, error that he is militating against. So Hendrickson goes on to conjecture. He said, is it possible that the proponents of this teaching said to the Colossians, uh, it must be true uh, did they say, he says, it must be true that by following these rules, you will achieve the victory over fleshly indulgence and obtain fullness of salvation for an angel showed me this in a vision. Now you can imagine, you know, you can imagine if someone said, God spoke to me through an angel. This is the kind of stuff where people go crazy and revivals start. I think about Luther's kind of tongue in cheek remark. Uh, He said he was in bed one night sleeping and he was awakened by a violent shaking of his bed. And when he opened his eyes, he saw the devil at the foot of his bed, shaking, shaking it. And Luther said, uh, he looked at the devil and said, Oh, it's just you. (laughs) Now, uh, did that really take place? I don't. We have no way to to prove whether it did or not. We have we have his testimony. Uh, was he evangelistically speaking? I suppose it's not beyond him. But the conjecture here is that someone is saying, on the basis of this revelation that I have received from the elemental spirits of the world, you've seen the stars at night. Yes, they're uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. And so the ancients, as we saw last week, this was their entertainment. They, when they saw the twinkling of a star, they thought that it was a god, an elemental spirit, an angel, uh, a force of some sort that had influence in, in their lives on earth that would be a powerfully seductive teaching. It would be hard to resist that. So we covered this uh, a few months ago, but Paul is presenting uh, what we can call, what what Christopher Seitz calls factuals. And he says there, there are three factuals. We won't take the time this morning. The first one is in uh, verses five through seven of chapter two. And the next one is in verses nine through 15 of chapter two. Of, of the same chapter. But in verse 20, uh, he presents us with this fact. He, he puts it in the form of a proposition as a question. But apparently the fact is that we as believers, something has died out within us when we were buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. Look at it again. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Something, because of faith in Christ, has been deadened in me. It is no longer alive. This is not to be disputed, Paul is saying. This is a fact. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, well, this is what has happened to me as a believer. Something in me died. So Seitz goes on to say the Colossians are then to be seen as potentially threatening a condition that should be theirs by possession. Uh, so I like that phrase. You have to unpack it a little bit. Uh, there are some things that privileges, not only responsibilities, but privileges that accrue to the believer as a result of what has uh, happened to them in their faith walk with Christ. I was listening to a man the other day. He was talking about a repair that had been done to his truck. And the truck ran for a while, and then it stopped running. And he was anxious about it. You know, I just spent a bunch of money, as we all know this anxiety, just spent a bunch of money, you get the thing fixed, and it doesn't stay fixed. And so he he said, "I called the man back, and and you know told him you you know, you said it was fixed. You you fixed it. I believe it's fixed. It's not fixed. And he was anxious about it because he thought, well, you know, I'm going to have to you're going to have to get to the bottom of this. You're going to have to figure out what's wrong. There's going to be more money that i are going to." The mechanic on the other end of the line said, no problem. I'll fix it for free. It's under warranty. <laughs> well, when, when you hear that on the other end of the phone, what do you do? You go, oh. That's, you, you're trying to figure out where you're going to get that, you know, $1,800 or whatever to fix whatever needs to be fixed. And then you hear the news You were unaware of it. You were unaware that you possessed such a thing. And this is the threat of the Colossian heresy is to distract them from what is a settled fact. When you came to faith in Christ, something in you that was very much alive that could be leveraged by the world system is dead. Colossians are then to be seen as potentially threatening a condition that should be theirs by possession. So, I, or we, have, we possess it because of our position, who we are in Christ. Uh, look at this word, uh, and we're just kind of taking a 100,000 foot uh, look at this passage, but look at, again, this word submit. Why do you submit if you want to shorten the question to try to understand what it is, why do you submit to regulations? Now, the thing about rules, uh, rules, we all live our life by rules, some code of conduct. Uh, the drivers on North in North County on 270 do not live by uh, rules, it seems, anymore. I was, uh, you know, it's such a mess, right? And you're all familiar with the mess and you can see what they're trying to do and hopefully it'll solve the problem, but who knows? Um, Hopefully it'll end up looking like 94 out in St. Charles, four lanes on either side and no more clover leaves. And uh, I was trying to figure out how to get home from the Rock Road to here, and that's not an easy thing. So traffic's backed up everywhere. So I get on the Rock Road, and I take it all the way to 170. Then I get on 170, and I'm I'm saying I'm just going to take it to Airport Road, which turns into Chambers, and just get home now. There are there are about a thousand or two thousand other people that are thinking the same thing. So I'm driving, I'm driving on 170 underneath uh, 70 that crosses over, and right there by the airport, and I look in my I go under 70, and I look in my rear view mirror, and I see a car, must have been doing 90 miles an hour, little red car, little bitty thing. And he was passing on the right and there was an SUV that was sliding over and the little red car sideswiped uh, the SUV and his tire, the little red car, his tire exploded, it's shredding. And he keeps going by me and I look in the rear view mirror and the SUV is doing a donut in the middle of the road and then finally is 90 degrees in the middle of the road and headed toward, um, I don't know, something concrete, something that stopped. And I'm thinking to my, in that split second, I'm thinking, I was just there like five seconds ago. So again, to remind ourselves, Paul says that the law is holy, the law is just, the law is good. It is a schoolmaster, How many are grateful to your teachers in school that disciplined you? Mrs. Auger in the fourth grade who saw that when I took a math test for multiplication, I was just four times nine. You know what I was doing? I was adding nine plus nine plus nine plus nine, and I was doing addition. And so then she said, I'm going to give you a time test and because I didn't know my multiplication table. Four times nine equals, we all know it it equals Somewhere around 35. You know, we, we, we don't think about it. Six times nine is 54. Seven times eight is 56. Nine times eight is 72. We, right? It just, it just but I, I, I hadn't learned that. So even though it aggravated me, you know, I can still get to the answer, not as quickly as you want me to, Mrs. Auger, the old fat lady, I said under my breath. You know, when you're in the fourth grade, you could say things like that about your teachers to yourself. But the discipline of that, right? uh, That follows you for the rest of your life. So rules are not necessarily, uh, rules uh, identify for our culture, the common good, right? So you have a right to disagree with, with, me, but your right to disagree with me, you know, ends at my nose, right? If you want to punch me in the nose, that <laughs> you can't say, "Well, that's freedom of speech." You know, the guy made me so mad, and I said my piece, and then I finally punctuated it by hitting me in the nose. Uh, no, wait a minute. Uh, you can't you can't walk into a crowded movie theater and and shout fire, right? When there's no fire, you'll be prosecuted if somebody gets. Injured or worse, you're going to be prosecuted for that. So rules are the kind of uh, uh, liquid love, or, or, or they operate under that pretense whereby we can get along with each other. So when it says the speed limit is 50 miles an hour, you are actually disrespecting the common good when you go down the road at 90 miles an hour. You put everyone at risk. So rules have their place. The, the kind of rule that Paul is talking about is is a bad rule or a regulation that has an in, incorrect genesis. It's come about um, in in some, uh, it, it should have been aborted, but it wasn't. And so it's, uh, like I said, like women uh, can't wear pants. Where, where Where did that come from? And you will be criticized, by the way, if you ask, too many why questions. You're supposed, you're just supposed to believe it, brother. You're not supposed to question it. This is what the old timers preached and taught, and it was good enough for them. It was good enough for Paul and Silas, and it's good enough for me. Uh, you know what? That's why Christianity in America continues to be, uh, the article this week will continue to, to decline. Submit. Uh, One translator says to be decreed to. You ever been around a person like that? They just constantly got the answer for everything. Oh, that's easy. Let me tell you how to do that. No discussion, no conversation. Just they they have lived their life according to these, these rules and regulations. You don't need to think about it. Here's the answer to that. The, the actual Greek word is one that I can't pronounce, but you can see what the first two syllables are. We get the word dogma, which actually means teaching, but sometimes we say, that that person is so dogmatic. Have you ever said that or, or heard that said about someone else? Dogmatic. What They insist that their way is the only way. Uh, I love this phrase, the attraction of rules for conduct. You know, if you can go through your life unthinking and you just have all of these rules, then it's very simple. Until something comes along that you don't have a rule for and then you're scrambling for because you want to be consistent, you don't want to be made a fool of, you're scrambling for a new rule. So Site says the imperatives, Paul is warning the Colossians not to heed, are to be classified as human precepts. The conclusion that he comes to uh, at the end of chapter 3, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You think about a well-respected statesman preacher, Billy Graham. He had as a rule, never be with a woman other than his wife. Never be with a woman alone. Now, I think that that rule served him well, right? Particularly uh, in light of the fact that, that we hear so many horror stories about what happens when a preacher is alone with a woman. But it doesn't always have to be that way. Now, I think, I think it served him well. Another rule that he had was that he, he never wanted to be, had anything to do with handling uh, the financial or the money end of it. He would raise money, receive offerings, but as far as setting budgets and how it was spent, that was left to others. So rules, have, rules are meant to be to promote life. And what Paul is saying here is they are, these rules are trying to resurrect something that is, is dead. It's dead on arrival. They have, look at it again, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So when he talks about this kind of dogmatism, and we'll close on this this morning. Thank you for your patience. He says, why? You know, here's an example. You got this phrase, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He is speaking, I love this by sight. he is speaking of a climate of regulatory impulses. That's what legalism is. It is a climate of regulatory impulses. This is how I've lived my life. And if you want to live your life as well as I've lived my life, these are the rules that you should follow. Speaking of a climate of regulatory impulses that interfere with the work of Christ, he is at pains positively to relate. To live in that realm is to live in the world. See, (laughs) counterintuitively, legalism is a kind of worldliness. It's not holiness. To live in that realm is to live in the world and to place oneself in the service of elemental spirits and their alternative account of reality. Actually, I think the text suggests it. I think some people are so gripped by the falseness of legalism um, that there develops a spirit behind that. And it may be um, a spirit from another world. It may be a demonic influence. And you, you, you've, you may have talked to people like that, that are gripped with such a spirit of argumentativeness that you wonder, it's more, what's behind it? There's something more behind this. There's something else that is that is going on. Particularly when people become very bitter. People become very bitter and they give voice to that bitterness. You see that their lives have been influenced by false teaching can lead to and otherworldly influence, I I will leave it at that. Thank you, Father, that you show us the way. Here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. Sometimes on the path home, we take baby steps. We turn a little bit in our direction. We avoid that pitfall. We go around this pothole. Thank you, Father, you're patient with us that you guide us, as the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to our feet. It shows us the way in which we should walk. And give us listening ears, Father. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.